I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I hope you're settling into 2023 really well. Today I'm delighted to be chatting to Sarah Busalaki and Anjali Ferguson and they have over a decade each of experience in the online education industry. Through their education experiences they found a deep passion for helping others succeed and grow. Because of this they co-founded their online school Mountain Point Academy where they encourage students to embrace and foster the skills needed for lifelong learning. This was a great conversation for me because they'd very kindly invited me to be a guest on their show, which is called The Thing About School podcast. And I'm on episode 31, and that is entitled Life as a Portfolio, which for any of you who know what my life works like in terms of my teaching, in terms of my professional playing, and also the podcast, it really is a portfolio way. And it was great to be able to chat to them about how that works and how they're able to hopefully support the children that they are helping in their Mountain Point Academy itself. So I really hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation with Sarah and Anjali talking about Mountain Point Academy. Hi, Anjali and Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Education on Fire podcast online schools are something which I've had more and more conversations about and the more I sort of delve into it the more you can see so many benefits and the the ways some students can adapt into their life for so many different reasons so first of all thank you both for being here and um yeah Anjali tell me a little bit about what is Mountain Point Academy yeah well thank you for having us Mark we're really excited to have this conversation um So Mountain Point Academy is, like you mentioned, an online school, and we serve students in grades 6 through 12, and so it kind of has a wide student demographic. Um, Sarah and I created the school after we had been working with other online schools and kind of saw some ways that we could innovate it, make it a little bit better, um, make it a more connected learning environment. So we founded it on the basis of being more relationship-based to give students that one-on-one connected experience where they feel like they have someone as their advocate to kind of help them through this process. Because as we all know, it can kind of feel a little bit siloed (laughs) to be on your own in an online space. And so we wanted to kind of create an experience for the student where they felt like they had that support and they weren't just mindlessly staring at a screen while they're getting their education. So that's kind of the the basis of the foundation of how we came to have Mountain Point be kind of our brainchild, I guess you could say. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Sarah, how did it become something that you both did together? I mean, I sort of hear sometimes someone has a great idea and then they try and put all the pieces yeah. together. But to sort of have sort of proper co-founders and, and some of that backstory would be Yeah, really yeah, we're co-founders. Um, we were co-workers many many years ago in the online education space um 2011 I believe is when I met Anjali and I had been 
working for an online school at that point for almost a year and she came on board and we were instant friends, still are. So I know maybe for some people it's hard to maintain a great friendship while also doing business and it has its share of struggles, you know, because um, when you're best friends with somebody and, and trying to get down to business, that can be difficult. So we've had to navigate that. But man, we're on the same page um, for most everything. Um, it's been a wild ride. Uh, you know, it's it's always something that we've had in the back of our mind over the years. And um, when we we both kind of had come up with the idea about starting a school on our own individually. And so when one of us brought it up, the other one was like, holy cow, you know, I've been kind of thinking that too. And it just started evolving and we had more conversations about it until finally we were like, hey, you know, it sounds like we're doing this. Like, I guess we're going to do this. You know, we we got together a, a bunch of people that know more than us and formed an advisory board um, because I think that's an important piece of, of learning is surrounding yourself with people who are smart and have been there before and, and get it. And we did that. We got together our, our group of advisors and um, pitched our idea, bounced ideas around. And and here we are. We're, we're doing it. And it's it's been amazing. It's been fun. And, and, you know, it's just amazing to be able to impact a lot of young people along the way and um, get that feedback that we're we're doing the right thing. So. And you, you make it very sort of gleeful, that kind of, and we seem to be doing it and then we got it together and then here we are. I can imagine it's not quite that straightforward. The amount of bureaucracy, the red tape, the kind of, you know, there are so many people in the world who talk about education and have these great visions. But once you get past that point of it's a great idea and you're sort of really stepping into it, it must be so much different. So just take me um, into that journey of kind of, oh, right, this is a great idea. We've got some people who are interested. We think we can put this together. And then the sort of the real work happens. So, Angeline, sort of start us on that journey and sort of how long does that take before you're like, yes, we are at school and away we're going? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So first hurdle is accreditation, right? Because nobody wants to come to a school unless their high school diploma is going to mean something. So for us, it was like, all right, we've formed our school. We have our ideas. We have some of these processes in place. Now we need to start working on accreditation, which is why we found an awesome advisory board to kind of help us through that process. Because with Sarah and I being the team, going through accreditation is a lot for just two people because it's they audit everything. They're looking at your financials. They're looking at your student policies. They're looking at your curriculum. And they just they just get into all of it. And so you have to have all the documentation, all your ducks in a row, and they want data with with students. But here's the chicken before the egg scenario. Nobody wants to come to your school because you're not an accredited school. But to get accredited, you have to have students and you have to have data. And so thankfully, because we had kind of worked in the online space before, we had a great network of people and were able to connect with someone who had um, started a new residential treatment center. So we were able to connect up with her and she had some students. And so we got the data, we went through the accreditation process and, you know, like, sorry, like you mentioned, not easy peasy because you have your own stuff going on in your personal life. Plus you're trying to do this and get accredited, but we passed, we got accredited in January of 2020, right before the world shut down for COVID. So it was good timing. But yeah, it was it was a lot of work, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, as you would say, we had that we kind of lived, breathed 
eight accreditation. That was kind of our sole focus for about a year because you do have to be a school and be in existence for at least a year before they'll even let you kind of dive into that and become accredited because they just want to see that you have that longevity, that you're serious about it, and that it's not just another little, hey, we're popping up to see if we can make money type of thing. (laughs) Right, totally. Yeah, it's anybody could really start a school. That's the crazy part that we found about it is on the flip side where, yes, there's a lot of red tape, there's a lot of hurdles and things, but it's almost a little scary on the flip side is, whoa, we just started a school. That's a lot of responsibility. Like, what are we going to do with that? And then thinking, anybody can start a school. Whoa, that's 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 pretty heavy. That's a lot of weight. And so it it is. It's it's um, for parents out there. I know you have a wide audience, but holy cow! I mean, do your research on your schools because there are tons out there that are credit mills and aren't taking the care to jump through all the hoops, so to speak, that you do need to, to make sure somebody's watching over you and monitoring what you're doing and making sure that you're putting the best stuff out there for these kids. So, so there you have it. There's a flip side too. anyone can start a school. A little scary. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That it's like I say, it's that sense of that. That's the easy bit. But of course, if people are just in it for the short term and trying to do something quickly, then that's, you know, like I say, an easy fix because you don't need to worry about the accreditation and whatever that may take you down. You sort of get in and out quick. So yeah, like I say, um, due diligence, as we as, yeah. as everyone says, is is really really important. Um, so I'm going to get into sort of the nitty gritty of how the school works in that in a second. But I'm I'm curious. You know, you think online school. Is there any base at all? I mean, do you live close to each other? Do you sort of meet up face to face? Is everything you do remote? How does that work from a sort of a, a school stroke business standpoint to begin with? Um, Sarah, take us into that. Yeah, yeah. So we're most of us are remote. Um, we do have a home office base, but it doesn't get used much by the workers that we have on the team. It's more of a central hub that we can use if we need to organize in-person meetings, um, receive mail, (laughs) stuff like that. Um, But we're all over, uh, you know, workers and students. So Angelie's over in Utah. I'm in Wisconsin. I'm in the United States. All of us, all of the workers right now that we have are in the United States. I have to say that now because we're talking to somebody who doesn't live in the U.S. and (laughs) we're not used to that. Um, So, but yeah, we're, we're all over. We have gosh, people in Georgia, maybe Tennessee, Chicago, Illinois, all over. And most of our students are in the U.S., coast to coast. We do have currently one international student as well. But I would say 99.9% of our interactions are through some type of video conferencing, Zoom, Google Meet. Um, You know, I'll fly out to Utah where our home base is. Uh, a few times a year, just because it's, uh, I believe it's valuable to be meeting in person and Angelie and I can be super productive and get a lot done when we get together. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of using all the tools at our disposal to keep things connected and to constantly be innovative and using the things that are available to us to make this thing work. And I think it really is a, a a sense of how the world has changed, and of course it changed for you, but you know before the world changed in inverted commas. Um, but I think just like I say, the facilities there to do it, and I think people waste a lot of time 
Um, and I think when you're being productive, and I think being online a lot, you are more productive because you've, you know, you're coming in, you're doing it, you're making those decisions, and the way you go, and like you say, that face to face interaction is important. And it must be great for you two as friends, you know, <laughs> to sort of hang out and catch up as well as the, the the business side as well. So I can I can sort of see how those sort of two angles sort of work together. So Anthony, take me into what a school looks like or what your school looks like from a, a pupil point of view you know is it you're taking a certain amount of subjects you can take just one or two subjects um yeah how, how did you sort of vi- envision it to begin with and, and sort of how has it sort of worked out in in sort of reality yeah uh so we we have an asynchronous platform so students can kind of go at their own pace they're not required to log in at a specific time to facetime with their teacher all of the instruction is kind of pre-recorded. So if they can get through, you know, three units in a day, great, you're ahead of the curve and you can keep going. Or if it takes them a little bit longer, they can really dive into that instruction. And then kind of back to that relationship piece, we then assign everyone, we call them an academic mentor, but essentially there are certified teachers who are FaceTiming with the students. So either once a week, bi-weekly or once a month, they are meeting with that mentor to discuss goals, to discuss class uh, progress, and just all of those type of things so that they can stay on track, they feel like they have that support. And then weekly, they receive uh, a message from their mentor as well that says, hey, it looks like you did great here. Maybe you're struggling a little bit in this class. Let's get together for tutoring. You know, so they have that kind of real-time support because in an online space, it feels like, oh, hey, a robot is grading my work and I don't really know what's happening here. So to kind of give that human relationship element, we make sure that those teachers are looking over every single assignment. They're providing feedback. They're having those conversations so that that student is supported every step of the way. And that was something that we wanted for these students, especially you know after COVID where everybody was feeling isolated and siloed and and students were struggling. So we thought, hey, let's let's make sure they get this support, right? And so they they can take anywhere from one to six courses, kind of depending on their needs. So some students prefer to go just one class at a time and say, hey, I'm going to bust out my English class and then I'll focus on math. Or I want to tackle the hard subject first. Let me just focus on that. And then I'll start transitioning into this. So we can be pretty flexible in the options that we offer. And we do also encourage kind of hands-on learning as well. So if students are already participating in music or dance or they have a job, we can look at getting them credit for PE, fine arts, you know, work study, so that they're also getting credit towards their high school diploma for things that they're already doing. Because we know by, you know, spending eight hours a day on a computer, your brain is a little fried. (laughs) So we like to have that real real world learning because we feel there's value in that as well. So we can work out ways to award them credit for some of those type of things as well. So they're getting that real world experience and not just zoning out on a computer with online learning. Sure. So, so for example, if they're learning an instrument, that might be something they're learning with a teacher locally to them, but it then gets fed back into, into like say what you're doing as part of, of, of your offering. Yep, totally. So they'll work with that instructor. The instructor will kind of track the hours that they're putting in and then we'll have them do kind of an online portion where they're doing research on a musician or the instrument that they play and they're writing essays and you know kind of getting that experience as well but that way too it's something they're excited about right it's not just something oh i have to learn math this sucks it's more hey i am passionate about this i love this 
and I can get school credit for it, yay, even better, because that's where I would rather be spending my time, right? And so so that's something that we pride ourselves on, too, is that experiential hands-on learning, because really, you can learn in any experiences, not just those formalized courses where, hey, I'm learning English, and I'm going to be a great writer. Well, hey, you, you're a musician, so let's have you focus on that, too. And I think for me, it, it never makes any sense apart from the fact you understand how the traditional education system works is that we're doing this subject now for a week or two weeks and then we have to move on. So if you happen to have got all that information and you find it easy, then fantastic. If not, what do you do? You know, you go to an external tutor or you just don't get it and then you have a kind of a continuation of never quite having all the information and all the skills you need and then you know that's maybe okay when you're five or six years old but then you suddenly get to kind of mid-teens and you say exams are looming and various things happening and it's like oh, i don't really know what's going on and then it's sort of panic stations so i can understand why what you're talking about is so brilliant for so many people but sarah i'm, I'm interested are there sort of parents and, and people who while that's a great idea because you're learning in your own speed, that sort of the lack of that ability to say, no, we just know that we can just sort of send you in this direction and you'll sort of come out the end and it'll all be okay. Mm. <laughs> Is that sort of freedom something which some people struggle with and that you have to sort of talk talk around a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when we bring in new students, we like to talk to our parents just about best practices when it comes to online learning and doing all that we can to set the student up for success for online learning. But there's always a flip side, you know, pros and cons of something where some students really need that flexibility and um, thrive on it. Others thrive on that daily structure where I know exactly what is happening in my day. I'm spending this much time on this particular subject, moving to the next, and it is a rigid schedule just like you would get in a brick and mortar school. And so in those cases, it helps a ton to have more parent involvement. Um, I'm not talking helicopter parent necessarily, but somebody who knows what their student's plan is and what they're going to be doing each day and have regular check-ins along with our check-ins because they're the boots on the ground, hands-on person that's there with the student. We can't enforce any consequences other than maybe suspending you from school if the student doesn't do work. So the parent has to be another layer of accountability for students who just can't manage time on their own yet at this point and we have to continue teaching those skills and fine-tuning those skills but um i always recommend that for students who struggle with that that you come up with a, a schedule come up with your own calendar post it on your wall set up a space that resembles a space that looks like like a school like a desk a computer you know um if this is something you struggle with it's not going to be easy for you if you're trying to do school in the same place where you watch tv um, or the same place where you sleep, you know, it helps to have a, a, a separate space for that. And we've said it once before on a different podcast, but I heard one parent tell me the story and I laughed out loud when I heard it, but it made sense to me is when they were doing, when they were homeschooling their child, this was for a younger a child, not a high schooler, but I suppose it could work this way too. Um, in the morning, got the student ready, packed all the books that they were going to need for the day in a backpack put the backpack on the student, had them walk out the front door around the house and then in the back door <laughs> because, okay, now we're in that mindset of school starting. 
so it's a, it's a mindset shift, I think, for some. And so, yes, I, I think online school is um, geared more toward certain students. Um, and some might excel with it more than others just naturally because they're naturally great at time management or they naturally just like to progress at their own pace, either faster or slower. I don't think that it's necessarily out of the question for students who struggle with it. It's just it's going to take a little bit extra um, navigation through the process on the part of the entire family, not just the student, but the support system around the student. And I believe that those students can be successful with it as well. Um, you know, public school, brick and mortar schools, they're really geared toward the average student. So like you mentioned, those that are um, excelling might get a little bit bored if they're waiting for the rest of the class to get to the point where they're like, I already got this. And the teacher just keeps explaining it like, OK, can we move on? This is I know this already. And then on the flip side, like you said, students who are struggling and they might need to spend a little bit more time on it. That's one of the great things about our program is we have one-on-one -on -one support. You can literally meet face-to-face -face with one of our teachers. You're not in a classroom full of kids. It's just you and the teacher, you know, so we can really pour into these kids and, and personalize the help that we give them. Yeah. And I think, like you said, towards the beginning, that's the, the kind of the point, isn't it? It's not about learning the subjects. It's about the skills that you need to be your best self. And every student is different. So therefore, learning that personalization, no matter what your situation is the great thing, because at some stage when you're not in school anymore, you're in this life. And hopefully you then have those skills to, to find your tribe, find the way you want to work, find the sort of situation you want to do. And you've already encountered that and learned it at a stage when it makes more sense. And I find it fascinating, you said about the going out the front door. I have heard that before. And I think it was a music teacher who was teaching their child and it was that kind of you're going to go out you're going to go around the corner and come back in and when you come in you're going to be talking to mr taylor who's going to be teaching you the drums as opposed to dad who's going to be doing right. whatever and it was and, it, and it's the same thing it's that kind of mindset shift of now we're in this environment and it's going to look and feel a certain way as right. opposed to and i think like you say that's that's so important in, in in so many different factors i love it um and angeline one of the things that I've heard you talking about today, which is different than, than many of the online schools I've spoken about, is that sort of complete free range in terms of your time and how you're working. Often there is sort of a class that people are attending or then there's um, recorded stuff that they can, they, can, they, they, can, they can work through. So how is that different from the types of online schools that, that you obviously have worked in before that you know and why specifically did you sort of go down that route? Well, yeah, I think because we do have, you know, grades six through 12, there's that wide range of middle school versus high school and, you know, staffing teachers for all the different grades is, can get a little complicated sometimes. And so I think having the pre-recorded instruction allows the student kind of like we mentioned, if they're struggling, they can watch it again, right? And they're not falling behind where everybody else is. And so it really does give them that freedom and that flexibility to just really focus and break it down. We encourage them to take notes, whether it's online or handwritten. You know, we we say, hey, there's science says that if you write it down, it's going to stick a little more. So we always encourage students to have that physical notebook, taking those notes. If something doesn't make sense, write it down so that when you meet with your mentor for your meeting, you can ask those questions. And then obviously we offer support above and beyond that where they can get additional tutoring if they are struggling with certain concepts. And I think the beauty of it is, yeah, that it, it allows them to go at their own pace. If they are 
that student that's like, okay, I'm bored. This, I already get this. Let's move on. <laughs> they can, they can speed up that process. You know, we've had some students that have finished a course within a matter of weeks because they were just, they really loved the subject. They were able to, to speed it along and, and then move on to the next thing. Right. And, and maybe for those that are struggling a little bit, they can really dive in, take that time. So we've just found it's a little more effective for students to be able to absorb the information at their own pace. They're not expected to be, you know, next to their their peers and oh hey, I'm ranked number 74 out of 76 students. Like we don't rank our students. It's like you mentioned, you know, part of our mission is to create good citizens. Just that learning is a lifelong process. It's not just, hey, I graduated high school, now I've learned everything I need to and I'm good to go. You know, it's fostering that attitude of learning throughout their education so that when they do become adults and they're in the workforce, they can have those critical thinking skills, the problem solving, the communication, all the things that they're going to need to continue learning because as adults, right, it's constantly adjusting. You're learning new skills. And, and so part of what we hope to instill is like that time management, that accountability piece so that they can learn how to learn to be effective adults later as well. And tell me a little bit, Sarah, in terms of how people come to you or how you reach out to people, because I, I guess you know, having conversations like this on various podcasts it is where people start to hear more and more things. But sure. when you're sort of starting from scratch, you know, it's not like, oh, my child goes to the school down the road because it's the closest or I can pay for this private school because that's, you know, works for us in the way it comes. You know, like say you do have this sort of massive net of people, but then by the same token, you know, like say you have to prove your worth and you have to sort of get in front of those people. So how, how does that generally work for you? I, I guess from when you started and I guess that's getting easier yeah. as, as time goes on. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, and it was actually something I was going to add to what Angeli was saying from your previous question. Um, which is part of it kind of ties into our model is that um, initially and even now we work with a lot of students who are currently in residential treatment centers. Um, like Angeli mentioned, one of our first group clients was a brand new residential treatment center um, on the East Coast. And, um, you know, it's, it's basically kids that are struggling for various reasons, maybe addiction, um, you know, some dis detachment concerns, uh, anxiety, depression, you name it. Um, students are struggling right now, especially more than ever. We see uh, waiting lists at many of our treatment centers that we work with. And these young people need help. And we had just kind of this soft spot in our hearts for this demographic of students that maybe traditionally have not done well in school. Maybe they've been bullied in their brick and mortar school. Um, they didn't fit in. It just wasn't working for them. Um, you know, kids go through a lot of tough stuff at that age, middle school and high school years. And we just felt like, this was our space that we wanted to really focus on students that were going through a hard time. And that's why we started reaching out to residential treatment centers after we got our first one. Um, that was maybe 20 students or so, 20 beds they had. Um, and it was a longer term treatment center. Um, and then word of mouth started hitting. We went to different conferences. We go to a con conference for uh, NATSAP. 
National Association Association for Therapeutic Schools and Programs. And we meet different administrators of residential treatment centers and, and network that way. Um, so a big portion of our student demographic right now are kids who are currently in residential treatment. I would say probably about 60% of our student base are kids who are in residential treatment. And so going along with what Anjali said about the flexibility is we have programs that span across the United States, different time zones, um, and smaller programs that it doesn't make sense for them to necessarily have an in-house academic program because they might have one sixth grader, you know, three seventh graders, a 10th grader and a 12th grader, you know, it, depending on their census, it varies. They might have only a few kids in there at a time and they might have 16, 20 kids with, you know, they might have all their beds filled. Um, and so that was kind of the, the thing about us that attracted some of these clients is that, okay, I can have 10 kids in a classroom all at different levels, all needing different courses and that works, that we can make that work without having to hire, you know, without them having to hire teachers on site. And, you know, we have our teachers that meet virtually with these kids face to face and we just meet them where they're at. So that's that's one reason why we almost we had to almost go with this type of platform, this asynchronous platform at first. And then we found that it just worked, even for students who are at home, um, as long as we navigate those those issues with you know, that we talked about earlier, where um, some students might struggle with too much flexibility. But as long as we're addressing those concerns, you know, we don't usually have a too much of a problem with that. But it's been great. We've we've gained more students, more programs um, over the years. Word of mouth has been wonderful for us. Our clients and our students love what we do. Um, and they tell us that. So that's amazing. And then the reason why we have a big part of that, that other, you know, I say 60% probably right now is residential treatment. The other 40% are students who are at home. A lot of that are students who were in treatment, trans transitioned home, and they were like, holy cow, this program works for me. Can I keep doing this? Where do I sign up? How can I continue doing this from home? Um, or maybe uh, they had a sibling that was in residential treatment and the family, hey, this worked for this one child. Can I please sign up my other child? And word of mouth spreads that way. So we have a good balance of students who are currently working at home and those who are currently in residential treatment getting help for whatever problems they are facing right now. And we love that. We love having a little bit of a balance. And we're starting to do a little bit bigger push right now to bring more individual families in. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. It's cool that we get to to work with kids who are struggling and would otherwise fall through the cracks. So, and just empower them and lift them up and let them know, hey, you can do hard things. You can you can you can do this. You just need somebody that's going to pour into you and maybe spend a little bit more time with you, but but you can do it. And that was one of the the most exciting things for us is when, you know, we see these students that when they first come in they're like, "Well, I'm stupid. I can't do this. I've been told that I'm not smart enough. You know, that's that's the messaging they've been hearing for maybe years and years. And then as you meet with these students, you kind of see the transformation happen and they're jumping on the calls with these mentors saying, I passed my test. I did it. I got an 83. Like I never thought I would get an 83 in my life, you know, and just kind of that confidence that you see in them kind of going back to just inspiring them to be the best version of themselves, because really that's, that's what it's about, you know? And so it's really exciting for us and why we do what we do, because 
we do see the change and we see that they're excited about learning again and they realize I can do this. I'm not stupid. Just because this is going on doesn't mean this is who I am. And so it's really cool for us to see kind of that transformation of these students. Yeah, I love it. And the the impact is is so apparent, you know, you can just hear it in your voices, but you know, I can start to see that bigger picture there and like you say being able to support centers that otherwise would struggle like you say other bringing teachers in and all of all of that kind of thing but i think there are a couple of things that really struck me the first is meeting somebody where they are and that's so powerful and it's such a shame that you don't get that traditionally because i think that would help so many people maybe not needing to get into the treatment centers for whatever reasons you know that's a whole different podcast or the same podcast but it's slightly slightly developed um but then like you say what it then gives you is that flexibility to then to learn and and i I think that ability to say you know i can imagine there's one person here i can literally do one small thing today because and that's a big win because my life is in such a position that that's all I'm able to do. And to see that journey that then takes and maybe say like out of the center, carrying on through suddenly thriving, but you're not having to change anything that you do because it is that personalized learning, which is, you know, essentially what everybody needs. And I think when you can start to see how that makes so much more sense, then it's such a no brainer for education system generally to do it um and i think what i love about the fact that you know as as you set the the sorts of schools up like this is the fact that it just gives people so many options and the moment you sort of sit back in your idea of okay my child needs educating what can i do it doesn't have to be the school down the street it doesn't have to be a certain type of online school it can be a blend of things or what do we need what's going to work for us how's that going to work um and, and and the thing you mentioned there about, you know, siblings and things like that, it's so hard when you've got multiple children in the family and making that work. And so to have the flexibility for them to learn in their own way, in their own time, on those different schedules that just makes everything work. Um, I think there'd be so many people listening who go, that's exactly what I need because I can't be in two places at once and I can't do too many separate, two separate things. And not only are we sort of navigating each student learning how they learn but how we learn as a family and as a community and you know and the siblings and the extended family and how we like to say we want to do those sort of traditional extracurricular things and how that fits in as well it seems like a no-brainer and I, I sort of love the fact that you sort of painted that so so beautifully as we as, as we went through tell me a little bit about the vision is it just to like say to expand I guess as you get more pupils you need more members of staff to kind of be able to fit in with that one-to-one and the mentorship as it goes through but beyond that is there kind of a an expansion that's going to take you in a slightly different direction or 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 how that starts to grow as you get sort of more established so Sarah why don't you take us into that yes (laughs) yes so um really our our main goal for our vision is just to reach as many students as we possibly can so of course, growth, just general growth is huge for us because we're still a pretty small school, um, several years old, um, and we're in that growth phase right now. So in the next few years, five years, you know, really just focusing on growth, building up our student base, sticking with our current plan um, on who we're trying to bring into the school marketing wise, um, stuff like that, and, and just grow, bring in more qualified teachers, because 
man, everybody knows what a struggle it is to find and retain quality teachers. That's that's probably the biggest struggle that I can see in the next five to 10 years is, okay, how are we going to keep these high quality staff members here with us so that we can keep offering this, you know, this excellent service to students? Um, and, and then beyond that, um, really, we've always just wanted to be an innovator in the industry. So, we're interested in, you know, once we get to like the growth standpoint that like, okay, we're, we're kind of where we were hoping to be. How can we innovate this more? How can we be, you know, that cutting edge, you know, bringing new tools, um, coming up with new ideas to just keep students engaged and allow them to explore different opportunities, I think is something that we're really, we, we see ourselves as, as, an innovator, not just somebody who's sitting back and, all right, you know, how much money can we make as a, as a business or as a school? That's not really ever been um, in the forefront or the most important thing. And it's part of the reason why we left some of the other online schools that we were working for is because it felt too businesslike and not student-centered enough. So we always told ourselves, you know what, there's no reason why the school can't be successful as a school, as a business, if you want to call it that. I, I hate even saying that in the same, you know, school business. It sounds so cold, but the school schools are a business. Private schools are a, a business. And so there's no reason why a, a private school cannot be successful and you're still putting the student first. If, if you maintain that as your focus, everything seems to fall into place. You keep asking yourself that question. Does this business decision that we're making, does this put the student first? If it doesn't, then it just gets thrown off the table and we come up with a new idea and a new plan. So, Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, and actually, we, we just sort of discussed there that sort of platform and the way that sort of you sort of interact. Um, do you have a particular platform do you use? Does it sort of change depending on, on the environment? How does that work for someone sort of listening to this thinking, ah, oh, I can understand that. Is it, uh, you know, a lot of people, like I said, we talked about COVID before and I did some things on Zoom, some on this, some on whatever. Do I need a whole myriad of things? But and sort of how have you sort of set yourself up from that sort of technical standpoint? Yeah, that's it's kind of evolved for us. So we did start with Zoom where teachers were meeting via Zoom and now we're using Google Meet um, just because we have a Google workspace for our team. So it just makes sense to kind of do it there for students to meet um, virtually with their teacher and then they're able to have those sessions where they can ask the questions, they can set the goals, that type of stuff. And we've we've found it to be effective. You know, that's really the only time where we say, okay, this is when you're meeting with your mentor. This is the only, you have to be available at this time type of thing. But that's something that the teacher works out with the student, you know, based on each of their schedules, what makes the most sense. And, and you know, every once in a while, the teacher might say, hey, I know you have a big test coming up and you're taking it this day, like I'll follow up with you. Right. So they're still feeling like they have that cheerleader, that advocate. And luckily for us, we have some amazing teachers on staff that are super passionate. And so I think kind of along with Sarah's idea of what our goals are is to just, you know, you've mentioned finding your tribe and that's kind of what we want to do. We want to find those like-minded people who really want to put the student first, who really care about the student's success and helping them succeed and we can see it evident in the feedback we get from students about, oh my gosh, my academic mentor is this and she's so great. And, you know, so it's, it's awesome for us to hear that the students are being supported and that we have found those like-minded people who really care 
about seeing the students succeed and they get that lift from that as well. And so I think just continuing to find those people who are, you know, the, the, the youth are the future of the world, right? We want to invest in them and help them be as successful as possible. So finding people that support that vision, I think is a huge part of it. And um, yeah, so, so as it's evolved, you know, we started where we were kind of a siloed school where it was just like, all right, here's your class. We'll give you a progress report and good luck. And there weren't really that touch points in the, in the very beginning, you know, it was just, Hey, we'll give you this weekly progress report. So your parents can know where you're at. So you can know where you're at, but there, that relationship kind of piece wasn't there. And so we decided, well, Hey, back to Sarah's innovation, right? We wanted to take it to that next level, make these students feel they were supported and so we instituted these academic mentor calls where they were meeting with them. And it was interesting. We analyzed our data and we kind of saw our success levels and they were pretty, you know, kind of kind of the same. And then after we met, we had these mentors start meeting with the students, we noticed this like curve going up and up and up and the grades were getting better and engagement and attendance, like all of it just kept getting better. And we're like, hey, we're on to something. <laughs> and so it's kind of evolved from there as well. So we're constantly looking for ways, new tools, um, you know, wanting to institute webinars where students can come join and hear about study skills this month or, hey, this month we're going to focus on writing a resume and interviewing, you know, real world skills that they can also use to just help them be the best version of themselves. So it's kind of a, a constant evolving as we hear of new exciting tools that are coming out for these students to use as well. Yeah, I really, I really love that, and I, and I think the other thing which just struck me there, you talked about, you know, that in student engagement and and the benefits of having that interaction, and I think, I think you can have great meaningful interactions online as well as face to face, and I think that's exactly what it, you know, what what you demonstrated there. But in terms of sort of maintaining your staff and having great teachers, I think the same philosophy applies. You know, the flexibility that having a school like yours has must must be a benefit for, from, from a staff point of view and all of those sort of that community feel from from the students to the members of staff must feed into what you're doing as a as a business like you said in inverted commas but as a school and, and as a group of people that are you know they're in it because they believe in it you know and they, they've made a point to be part of what you're doing and, and I think I think that's what people are really wanting now during during the education space as it starts to evolve and I think you know what you're demonstrating is, is that education is evolving I think that's why I love this podcast so much is because you get to share that and and, and it still makes people think and it gives them gives them those options and um and and I, I just think it's so fascinating and like I said right at the very beginning it also means that you talked about it but then you did it and and and, and then doing that and keeping it going is is really is really important so Sarah tell me a little bit about a school experience or a teacher that you had which had an impact on your life and I'm really interested for people who've then sort of come back into education what those sort of touch points are maybe that kind of fed into sort of like mm. say your philosophy of what you wanted to do and, and how that sort of become part of, of where you are now. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the stuff I remember from school isn't the specific math process that I use to solve a problem or the rules of grammar or whatever those things that that's not what sticks out to me when I think back on my education it's it's the people it's the teachers specifically that I had that showed a genuine interest in me 
personally and made a clear and obvious effort to me, even as a student, I could see the teachers that cared in those that were just kind of going through the motions um, that just poured into me as a young person. And there are several teachers that I can think of even back from junior high that I could still probably get them on the phone and ask a favor, ask a question. And they would be like, oh, my goodness, Sarah, how have you been? Like, let's talk. Let's, you know, like, tell me about your life. You know, like they they just genuinely care. And these are the teachers that if I came to them after school, when they're ready to get the heck out of there, they would take the time and they would not act like they were rushed. They would just be there, be present, listen, and help me, help me, you know, with whatever it is that I needed help with. And that's what really stuck out to me growing up. Um, because in school, I, we've kind of said it before, but, um, you know, it's not so much on the specific things that you are learning. It's really learning how to learn, learning how to become a learner. And the teachers that give you those, those, you know, help you with those skills, develop those skills, give you that toolkit, so to speak, on how to become a learner. Well, then you're set up for life because you have the process the ability to think through things logically and look up the information that you might not know, find reputable resources, right? The age of information now, it's more important to be able to distinguish what's bad information versus good information rather than finding it. It's, it's out there. There's almost too much information out there now. Anybody can post something to the internet and right, people think, oh, it's on the internet. It must be true, right? So it, it's being able to um, look back at those experiences that I have and and the teachers that got me excited about learning. That's what I took away from it. And that's what I want to pour into this school, this project that we've started here with Mountain Point Academy is to take those positive experiences I had growing up and, okay, how can we create that in an online space to where our students know, you know what, Mrs. B, she's got me. She wants to see me succeed. Um, she takes the time to listen to me, to hear my struggles and you know what? Sometimes it's switching gears, you know, like we're talking about math, but a student that I was meeting with, um, so I, I noticed that he, he was struggling with just taking simple notes. And I was thinking, wow, OK, maybe the issue isn't that you don't understand the processes with math. Your your notes aren't accessible. How you know, you're trying to keep all this in your head. Let's work on taking some high quality notes first before we get into the math stuff, because that's a, a basic skill that you need to have that maybe you weren't taught before coming here. Let's, let's talk about that first and then let's build upon that. So I think just something that I took is teachers that, again, it goes back to meeting students where they're at. Um, it's just, it's such a cool thing when you can look at a student, find out where they're at, find out what their needs are, and just be there, be present with them and, and help them navigate through the next step. So that's some of the stuff I took away from my school experience and what we're trying to implement here at Mountain Point. Yeah, and I think you can, you can really hear that coming through. And I think one of the things that struck me is the fact that in a traditional school, there are kids that I think need that, but get lost in the middle ground because they don't have the ability to make that first initial contact it's you know the teacher needs to sort of find them and do that and in a class of 30 odd or whatever um you can see the kids that you know they don't do anything right they don't do anything wrong they're just sort of just doing life but they still need that 
interaction on a regular basis and, and the way you're set up is the fact that you've all got like say you're being met where you're at and you're going to have those conversations to begin with so that you're immediately lighting that fire and growing from there there is no kind of coasting and no just sort of making do you kind of yeah we're here to learn and we're going to do it in your way in your own time and in, in the way that works for you and yeah I, I always love that correlation in terms of sort of how those sort of experiences and, and then being able to put it into practice and uh, so Angeli tell me um about the best advice that you've been given or maybe some advice you'd give your younger self now looking back and I do often caveat this with the fact that we know that when we're younger we might not take it on board but I always think it's important to hear it so at least it's in there somewhere that you can you can use it some stage yeah, well, I, I like to tell people that I'm a recovering perfectionist. I think my younger self was very focused on the grades and I have to get an A. I have to be the best version of myself. And I, I got in my head a lot. You know, I was a perfectionist. That's that type A, I have to be the best type of thing. And so if I was to go back and tell my younger self, I would just say, hey, do your best, right? You're not going to be perfect. No one's perfect, but do your best. Try your hardest and accept that that's your best, right? Because I think we have this idea in our heads of, oh, if I fail, I'm a failure, right? And that's kind of that perfectionist mindset that if I don't achieve this, that means I've failed. And so I think learning how to fail, um, shifting that mindset to, it's an opportunity to learn. Because I think so many youth, especially today, get that in their heads of, well, I'm stupid, so that must mean that I'm always going to be stupid, or I failed at this. So that always means I'm going to be a failure. And that's just not true. And I, I wish that's something that I had understood a little bit better when I was that age as well, because you do get so defined by your peers and what other people are thinking of you. And I mean, I didn't grow up with social media in school. And so that's even further, you know, <laughs> complicated, because they're dealing with this online pressure, as well as in person pressure, and so, you know, just give yourself some grace. You're not going to be perfect and that's okay. You're going to learn from those failures and it'll make you a better person. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I think also the environment you're in on any given day as well, because as soon as your ambition is, I'm a grade A student in absolutely everything every day of my life, that's just, well, what we know, unattainable, but also it doesn't take into account well, I've been up all night because my sibling was poorly or, you know, I've needed to do this for someone else. And I will sort of hark back to the sort of the idea of sort of the athletes. It's that kind of, I knew that next month I had the most important race of my life and I've, I've trained and I thought it was going to be my chance to do my personal best. And then you break your leg. You have to readjust the fact that you're not going to do it that month. You might do it the month after or the month after that, but life takes you in whatever direction it is and doing the best you can with the circumstances that you have and that being okay is such a freeing experience I think for people and then like you say do the best you can with what you have on today and then and then go from there but I think that perspective thing is something which is often missing for so many people and once you allow that to be the case life gets so much easier as everyone sort of breathes into it so it's so important um now, we'll get an answer from both of you. Is there a resource that's been important to you? And it can be anything, personal or professional, whether it's a song, a video, podcast, book, whatever it happens to be, but something you'd like to share. Sarah, why don't you take us there first? Sure. Um, there's a book that actually both of us read kind of as part of our professional development, and it really had a big impact on me, and I would recommend 
educators to read it, parents. Um, the book is called Fish in a Tree, and it is by Linda Mullally Hunt. And essentially, the book is about this student who um, has dyslexia and or learning differences, and um, she struggles to learn. And so it comes across as she's just kind of showing defiant behavior and doesn't want to try because she's afraid of looking stupid and, and doesn't know how to express the fact that the things don't make sense on the page, right? Like words are jumbling around on the page and it's just not making sense. And she's struggles to communicate that. And pretty much everybody um, up until the point where she meets this specific teacher has just kind of dismissed it as she doesn't care about school. She doesn't want to try. She shows this defiant behavior. Um, you know, it, it just comes across as, as that to everybody else who's around her. Um, or she, she makes jokes about something or tries to be the class clown because that's easier. You know, it's easier um, for somebody to just think you're being goofy or funny or, you know, the, the, <laughs> the class clown instead of thinking that this girl's stupid, right? By her peers or by other people. So that's kind of her defense mechanism until she meets this teacher that just does what we've been talking about. This whole podcast is just pours into her, takes the time, starts like playing chess with her and stuff like that after school and just gets to know her. And then they start identifying these, these real issues that she's having with her learning. And, and then she just blossoms and it's an amazing story. And it's, it had a really big impact on me. And after reading it, I feel like it changed me and changed my approach. And, um, because like Angeli said before, just with the students that we work with, the first time we get them on video call, usually it's like, like this, right? Or, or no eye contact or the girls with very, very heavy makeup that they're kind of just hiding behind. And, um, there are just, there's so many walls to break through in the beginning for some of these students and understanding it from the student's perspective of what they must be going through instead of just making an assumption of, oh, they don't care about school. You know, I ask them about goals and they say, I don't care, whatever. Maybe there's more to that. So mm. I would recommend that book to anybody, especially educators out there, Fish in a Tree. Fantastic. And Anjali, what would be your recommendation? Yeah. So similarly, I, I read, I did a lot of reading during COVID. It was like a wide range of books, probably the most books I had read in years. And one that really stood out to me that I recommended to everybody that I was talking to. I had my mom read it, my grandma, my friend who was a teacher, you know, just all these people. And I think it's a book that everyone should read. And I think students especially should read it, but it's called Out of My Mind by Sharon Draper. And so it's kind of a, it's a similar concept to the book Sarah mentioned, but basically it's told from the perspective of a girl who has cerebral palsy. So, you know, she looks different, she acts different, she's isolated by her peers, but in class, she's saying the answers in her head, but she can't communicate those, right? Because she has no way to communicate. And so it's told from her perspective of like, I know this, I'm here, I wish you could hear me type of thing. And it just, it opened my eyes to just the level of, you know, compassion and empathy that we need to have as a society, because I know, you know, there's a lot of hate, there's a lot of dividedness out there. And it's basically from lack of understanding. And so if we can understand each other, meet us where we're at, then we can start to have that compassion and just be better citizens of 
caring about our people around us and not isolating someone because they're different or because they, they can't speak, they don't look or talk or act the way that we do. And so it was just, it was a really powerful book, really good writing where it kind of gave you that perspective of, oh, hey, yeah, let's not be so quick to judge because we don't know what people are dealing with. And so it was just a really powerful book that I would recommend for anybody to read. I love it. And it's such a it's such a great way to wrap up because I think when I sort of think about, we're going to talk about online schooling. Actually, we're talking about those human interactions. We're talking about learning. We're talking about people. And, um, and I think today that conversation that we've had is just shows how important that is. And whatever the tools are, whatever the, the ways that we're having that connection, it makes a, a really, really big difference. So thank you both for being here and, and sharing all that wisdom. Um, and Sarah, why don't you just finish off by telling us where people could find out more about the school, but also about your, your podcast and, and all the great work that you're doing? Absolutely. The name of our podcast is called The Thing About School. So you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, pretty much anywhere uh, pod- podcasts are hosted. Our website is mountainpointacademy.com. Uh, we have a Facebook, Mountain Point Academy. We have Instagram, um, which is MT. Angelie, help me. Yeah, MTN Point Academy. So that one's a little different. We don't have mountain spelled out. Um, we're on LinkedIn, pretty much anywhere, any social media platform you can find us. Fantastic. And we'll have links to all that on the show notes as well. Perfect. So if you didn't pick it up, you better click straight through. Angelique, Sarah, thank you so much indeed. And um, I hope we stay in touch and, and get a chance to catch up as your journey progresses in, in into the years to come. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.